The information provided on the Finesse Your Money podcast is not intended to constitute legal, business, financial or other professional or product advice. It is provided as general information only and is not intended as a substitute for personal advice from a qualified and licensed professional who is familiar with the facts of your particular circumstances. Ever asked yourself where your money is going? It's a common problem for businesses and people personally. Is it dumb luck to be successful with money? Or is it the smartest and most successful businesses and people that plan and understand the value and purpose of money across generations? Is your money out of control or needing some finessing? In the third season of Finesse Your Money, the theme is more than money. We're talking all things money with our inspirational guests, but we go beyond that to explore creating a legacy beyond wealth, success and stewardship among families, the energy and purpose of money, well-being and wealth, relationships and money, connection, being intentional and values. Listen in to hear some excellent tips from our guests and set yourself up for a bright, happy future with a stronger sense of purpose around money. Get ready to be inspired. I'm Janine Wilson, the host of Finesse Your Money. I've been a financial advisor for 10 years and an accountant beforehand for, well, many more years. I'm the founder of Finesse Financial Advisors. Hi, you're listening to Finesse Your Money. I'm Janine Wilson. Welcome to today's discussion. The theme this season is more than money, and today I'm speaking with an incredible woman. My guest is Tiffany Jones. Let me introduce you to Tiffany. We met about five or six years ago and I was immediately impressed by her, the ease and grace with which she did business and the leadership she demonstrated with those around her. Later, I observed this in working with her clients. So it's no surprise then that Tiffany was one of the youngest vice presidents in Goldman Sachs, working in New York, London and then Australia. Her career was built around helping people reach their potential and she brought this talent with her to corporate Australia. In 2010, Tiffany says she broke away from the up or out path offered by corporate world and that's when the most fulfilling part of her professional life began. She invested everything, financial, human and intellectual capital into building a company that she believed in and that filled a gap in the market that she'd identified, leadership development in families. Tiffany's work Today is intentional, supporting small businesses, nonprofits, and families. And Tiffany attributes her parents to teaching her the values she hopes to pass on confidence, accountability, perseverance, resilience, and adaptability. That was their legacy to her. Legacy is about so much more than the transfer of wealth. Tiffany works tirelessly so the next generation of families take the best from their elders and plot their own course to find their true purpose and fulfill their potential. Welcome to you, Tiffany. I can't wait to hear more about the important work that you're doing. Hi, Janine. Thanks for having me. It's such a pleasure to chat with you today. It's just, you know, when I talk to people about financial advice, they just think it's about building wealth, but it's so much more than that, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, I think funny that coming from the banking sector where my career began was about the financial side. And over the years, I guess um, you and I probably share this view that there's a lot more to it than just the financial capital to make it endure. And so it's been a very fun past decade. I was actually reflecting on the timing of this call because it's been 10 years since started up our little company here. 
And it's a really wonderful time to pause and, and reflect a bit on it. So thanks for thinking of me. It's a pleasure. So tell us more about your business and what it is that you do. Look, we um, aim to help individuals with wealth to have a positive and intentional impact. So we're really looking holistically at helping families in particular, but the individuals within those families to live well with wealth. And, you know, we begin that journey by trying to figure out what wealth means because a lot of people, and I've been in Australia now, Janine, don't be thrown by the accent, uh, <laughs> you know, 14 years. And, you know, it surprises me how few people think of themselves as wealthy or having wealth. Um, we just read a recent study, interestingly, on this very topic. It's um, the Global Wealth Report that comes out by Credit Suisse for 2020. And, you know, over a million people have a net worth of three million or more. Um, and 2,000 people um, are in the 50 to $100 million bracket. And, you know, when we just paused and, and thought about that, we said there's just so many people out there who don't attribute themselves to having wealth. And so they're just not thinking about it with a really intentional or purposeful mindset. So we're focused uh, on how that money can create better human experiences uh, and helping move people from a mindset of, say, ownership to stewardship. It's really important. So obviously the season is about more than money. So what does that mean to you and how does that translate into the work that you do with your clients? Good question. You know, so what specifically does that mean for us? It's, it's probably... Uh, more the actions uh, and, and the values that drive those actions. Um, you know, we're very focused on families finding a clear sense of purpose and using a collective uh, pool of values to draw from and helping them make better decisions around that purpose. It's probably even a greater purpose. And we've, in the past year, I'm sure you've found people are really taking more time to pause and reflect on their own purpose. And is it having a more positive effect and a greater effect than they might even realize. Um, we also very focused as you started out this conversation with the focus of legacy. That's a big issue for us. Um, you know, and in our mind, it's less about passing on a name or, you know, the wealth or a business itself, uh, but rather uh, thinking about uh, creating something, looking after it and passing it on to future generations for them to continue to build upon. And so we're really keen uh, to work with individuals and families who are capable of looking uh, in typical conversations 100 years out, which would be, you know, up to three generations from now to really have a much greater purpose beyond uh, what they're doing today. Mm. And I think, you know, if I cast my mind back over the past year or two, I worked with a family late last year where, you know, the the... Um, parents were looking to exit the family business, but the people they'd identified to take over in, in, in this particular case, it, it happened to be the men of the family. And I felt part of that was really the generational thoughts of the parents that, you know, men inherit, women don't. But it was actually the women in the family who were better fit with taking that business forward and the stewardship of that business and the leadership of that business. So that was a really interesting case for me to work on. Um, well, Janine, you know, that's it's funny you say that. I was just talking with um, one of the adult children of a family today who's a woman, uh, and we were having this very conversation about just the fact that, you know, her father's life's work is being passed on to she and her brother, uh, but that 
Interestingly, you know, the statistics show that women outlive men, uh, you know, by up to four to seven years. And um, when it comes from a compliance or risk-taking point of view, women tend to outperform over the long term with their investments. So it's, you know, it is a real focus of mine. And, and I've found uh, over the years um, that I probably started this work because I noticed, noticed the matriarch wasn't involved in the process or the conversations oftentimes. And it was um, mis- understood that maybe she didn't understand or what didn't have the education or the knowledge around uh, the financial side, but, uh, you know, really, or the interest, uh, but really it was having that exposure and being part of the conversation and having some transparency, uh, which is part of what we do, that has created a much greater engagement for the women in the family. And a lot of those legacy leaders are the daughters in the families who really want to see something continue. So, you know, in terms of what we do with our business, often we begin with the question of, you know, how much is enough and what is it that you want to create in your lifetime and using all of the different capitals available to you from the financial to the human uh, to the intellectual. So the experiences, the skills, the knowledge uh, and that social spiritual capital, which is really that thing that keeps us connected to something greater than ourselves. So interesting you raise that about, um, you know, women, you know, women do tend to be much more conservative um, in some respects. And I think sometimes that's because women traditionally have been the homemaker. um, And so they want to make sure that they're secure first, whereas men seem to just take more risks. But when we look at the facts and figures, you know, women outperform over the longer term and can end up with far greater results (laughs) as well. And so that's, you know, if you have an interest in listening to the or seeing more about that. I recently was a guest on another show. I'll drop the notes into the show notes for you to have a look at. And there's also an insight on my webpage. So getting back to it, is purpose, well-being and connection more important than money? It's a big question. Look, it is a big question. And, and as you know, we just wrote a, an article on this because we've been really trying to see how we can contribute or give something back in the past year with everything that's been going on in the world uh, with this uh, coronavirus. And, you know, we thought, what is it that really matters? And, you know, I guess the upside, because I'm an optimistic, positive thinker, uh, is that, you know, a crisis forces us all to pause and take stock. And we knew in Australia that, you know, prior to uh, this year, mental health was probably one of the greatest risks and was on the rise across Australia, particularly in men. And there was a lot of focus on that happening already. And then with this onset of this pandemic, we started to really look at what kinds of conversations were families having or individual leaders uh, having. And these three themes emerged for us, Janine. You know, it began with, you know, really looking at your values at the core, but how did that dictate the way you carried out your life? And that purpose questioning you know, am I living a life fulfilled? Am I doing things that are in line with my interests, my passions? Do I know where I still have room to grow? Uh, was a big topic. And naturally questioning whether I'm doing things in line with that from a work point of view or living a life in line with that. And it connected so well to the concept of well-being, which is, as you know, become a huge trend and theme in from corporate all the way through to, you know, the many sectors of particularly around Australia, but globally from a a mind, body, soul perspective, you know, how well are we looking after ourselves as human beings and what more could we be doing uh, to take care of ourselves and those that we love? And that became an emerging theme, particularly when your life is at risk and your health is at risk, which a good pandemic will do, 
uh, it forces us to pause and think if I don't have that in, you know, in, uh, in care, how do I look after the rest of myself? And this theme of connection naturally tied into that beautifully because suddenly we were living in a world where we were so isolated. If you didn't have family like we, our family is in the United States and in the United Kingdom. You know, we look to our friends and our community for that. Uh, you know, neighbors became close kind of local community friends because there were many neighbors, elderly neighbors who were isolated. And this idea of not just feeling connected to a local community, but feeling connected to something greater, you know, that concept of a noble purpose. And particularly those people who found themselves in a privileged position with wealth said, gosh, is this a time when we should be doing more? right? Is this a moment where there's a call to action on a global scale? And what more could we be doing to direct our resources to that cause? So it gets you back kind of in a cycle back to purpose again. And then how do we look after and develop ourselves and make sure that we're checking in? So it's been a really kind of interesting year of observing and learning uh, from our own clients and from our people like yourself and others who we collaborate with, uh, that the focus has been less on the money and more about how do we live a, a good life, right? My hope is that that will continue. I think it, there's been a real paradigm shift in thinking and, you know, away from the money being the focus and, you know, this whole notion of greed, you know, and so forth to, you know, on a day-to-day basis now, I'm just talking about well-being and connection. Yes. <laughs> and it's so much more fulfilling. I, I You know, I, that, I certainly feel feel more fulfilled in my role than you know in past years when it was just about the money <laughs> what are the what are the values that successful people or families hold and are you able to bring you know pinpoint a couple is is there something that's unique or original there or a particular angle that brings success yeah look it's uh, you know funny when I was listening to you uh, just share my kind of my background story at the start it's always quite humbling. And I was remembering when I wrote down those values that my parents passed on as I reflected on my own story, because that is such a critical part of what we do when we start our work with families is to try to get that common language, you know, that sort of those foundational things by which the family holds dear, how we act, how we think, how we treat one another, uh, because that allows for a safe environment. You know, this concept of psychological safety, it creates a safe space that we can hold and do that important work as a family. So values, if we believe that, you know, values essentially our beliefs dictate our behavior, those aspects of what we do uh, are really critical to forming the process by which we start. And the stronger families, we tend to find, have some things in common. You know, for example, I'd say gratitude is probably one of the common themes that I could attribute to most of the successful families who've kind of gone on a journey of trying to do something more with what they have and having a positive impact as a result. You know, that real sense of whether by inheritance or by hard work or by luck or by good fortune, it is a privilege and it is a responsibility. And therefore, gratitude in the sense of that altruism, that giving back, that being gracious and really contributing and committing one's uh, resources and time to doing something that helps others. Uh, and to be uh, thankful and appreciative. Often we'll end uh, an annual assembly, uh, family assembly, by going around and asking everyone what you know they either respect or appreciate or are grateful for in that year, which is kind of a practice we borrowed from the Rockefellers, you know, who used to do this lovely thing, I believe they still do it, Janine, whereby each year, whatever gifts are given to various members of the family, those members of the family are asked to write a letter and send it back to the board. And it, it talks about 
what they did with that gift, uh, you know, what they learned, what maybe mistakes they might have made, uh, and what they were planning to do in the following year. So this real sense of kind of this reciprocity in this cycle of the gift. I guess you and I touched on this, uh, you know, previously. I think growth is uh, an important factor. The families that tend to really go the distance are constantly learning. And so there is this mindset of education is the most powerful tool to give that as a gift in itself and to make that possible for future generations is key. Uh, but to be constantly looking at what else we can learn, skills, knowledge, life experience uh, that we can then kind of give back. So this mindset, this growth mindset, as I'm sure you've heard it referred to, is probably one of the other core values that I would say families have. And then it starts to break into the generations. If you're kind of in the baby boomer generation, you're looking at hard work and discipline. Uh, if you're, you know, moving into the generation X, you know, you're looking at independence and kind of, you know, proving one's sense of worth. As you move into the Gen Y, Z, millennials, uh, you know, we start getting very much more focused on purpose and meaning and living a, you know, a life that is well. So it's a really lovely thing to actually cut through across multiple generations when you're gathering family values. A lot of my clients are, you know, in that sort of 40 to 60 sort of age group. And, you know, I think I'm seeing an upsurgence and, and it might be through greater education, but a greater upsurgence or maybe from experience really coming back and looking at the values, particularly well-being. And I think from my perspective, I build education into everything I do with almost every client because there's always something we can learn but that education is really what in my opinion is driving an evolution of change you know if you look back at the you know the neanderthal man you know standing up you know it's just an evolution of change and as it should be you know it's it's very evident that many many people there's almost no one i speak to that doesn't think that this time of we've been in this in 2020 hasn't you know covid times hasn't caused people to reflect and really take stock and what's important and what's important to take forward. Yeah, well, when you and I met, I think our first work was having you come in and do some of the financial literacy education for uh, my families. And, you know, that will, I think, continue to be one of the most foundational pieces of the work we do. Now, we don't look after the money, so we're very mindful that we need people to come and be able to do that work because that will be lifelong. You know, it's like learning a language. If you don't have it, you feel somewhat fearful of it and maybe avoidant and don't, you know, understand the subtleties and the nuances of it. And, and financial literacy, it's just another type of language, like understanding how to use technology. From my point of view, that educational piece is actually one of the critical elements of how I think families should engage with advisors. And, you know, we've talked about that in the past. I think you want to come away um, as if you've learned something and feel clearer about something than you do uh, with people, advisors, maybe of a different type who might overcomplicate and confuse you. Um, and, you know, as a result, you kind of are reliant on them as opposed to being self-reliant, which I think for us is probably one of the core outcomes of families just getting back to the question of what a family is looking to achieve, the parents usually want to see their children, adult children, be confident, capable, independent, 
people, you know, humans who contribute back to the world and do good. So to do that education is absolutely at the cornerstone. To that point as well, I mean, I meet many women, you know, I, I specialise working with women uh, and a lot of those people are, are going through separation or divorce or, you know, loss of a partner and so on. They're at a, a particular stage of life and where they might have been fantastic, you know, day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, managing the household budgets and ex- so on, um, may have even lived on an allowance. When it comes to the big things like investing, they're often not confident either. And so even education at that stage of life is just crucial to really make sure that you understand what, you, what you're getting into, particularly if it's an investment, and that you've got a great team around you that, you know, can really guide and direct you and, and help you to become more literate and, you know, be more self-sufficient and sustainable. It's such an important part of the work that you and I do. Obviously, helping, you know, clients build that blueprint for their future, which includes money, is what really excites me about my work. But, you know, we ask our clients how we can support them and we bring that expertise and resources to bring their dreams to life so they can have a bright, happy future free from money worries. But tell us what excites you about working with your clients and their families. I guess uh, 25 years, I guess, I've been in business working for myself. And it's always been around leadership. I've just, uh, you know, been inspired, particularly by people who can have an impact or influence others to take action in their own lives. So for me, leadership, you know, is very much about inspiring others uh, and doing that through your own role modeling and your own life experience. But the real fascination for me is, particularly when I come up against uh, a person who says, look, I'm stuck in this way, or you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And that to me, it's like a, a, you know, a red flag to a bull. You know, I fundamentally believe that we can all make shifts and change and evolve. Uh, You know, adaptability, as you know, is one of the values that I uh, subscribe to. So, you know, when I think of what really lights us up is when we see, particularly an elder you know, maybe the patriarch uh, kind of come into this conversation, start thinking about the next generation, but they're holding on to things as the owner. They feel that they're doing that to safeguard the family. They're controlling things, you know, maybe sometimes from the grave by locking things up in estate plans and wills and the like. But to truly start to uh, let go and place the work with the family and trust that whether it's through the education, through the process of governance, through the clarity of purpose, through the good advice they have around them, that they will get to a good place. And, you know, from my point of view, that's, that's huge. Helping set them up, right. To do that, uh, to make decisions for themselves and to make informed decisions. You spoke about women, you know, the matriarch to me is always a fascinating character. Often, as you say, sometimes they're just not engaged or involved in the process, Uh, but seeing them come along and find a clear role for themselves um, you know, and, and gain confidence to step into that shepherding and stewarding side of things uh, of the next generation for me is always a wonderful thing to watch. And, and ultimately to have uh, a family make a real impact, you know, where they can point to decisions they made as a group and, the, and a positive outcome from that decision and then invest again to do it more. So bringing the timeline forward, putting the assets to use now, you know, and, and really, you know, having a purpose around uh, those assets to me is really what lights us up. Amazing. So many of my clients tell me that they want peace of mind. And I often hear myself saying, 
to clients, you know, that if the investments are causing them not to sleep at night, then then just give me a call. That's my job. So I recently read an insight written by you, Tiffany, in which you've said you've stopped asking people what keeps them up at night. So tell us about that. Yeah, look, it's funny. I mean, I mentioned but we came out of the banking sector myself, you know, back in the day, and, and I learned so much from being in that universe and sharpened so many of my tools, as it were. But one of the things I recall is often to get people to act, you know, we'd almost have to create a, a risk and not so much fear, but we talked about risk all the time. So that language resonated. And so we would ask questions like, what's keeping you up at night? And in many ways, it was almost to say, what are those things that are, you know, on your mind, those problems that are, are causing you to worry? And so it tended to result in questions that were very short term. They were often financial in nature, but they were very immediate. And so what we wanted to try to do, given the focus is on future legacy uh, and, and maybe even 100-year visions, is to get people to push the timeline out. So we, we shifted the questions to, to kind of go deeper and to look at things more broadly and actually proposed questions around things like whether uh, wealth would be an enabler or a burden, or whether there was any concern around entitlement in the family and, and, and or how they were thinking about that, or how do you share resources? Is equal and fair the same thing? And you know, how will the family tell its story? So the, the, the beauty of it was we listened to the kinds of conversations that occurred over the time period with these families, and the things that actually really kept them up were about how the next generation and the future generations would tell their family's story. Yeah, and how, as I mentioned before, they could do anything they could in their time on earth to help set the next generation up to be good, capable stewards uh, of their family's resources or the gifts that they've, they've been passed on. And so the conversation moved to a much longer term dialogue. Brilliant. So I see from your recent surveys that about 10% of the time, could the resources in your family become a burden to future generations was the top priority selected. Did anything in the results of surveying over a thousand people surprise you? Yes. No, we, we thought we needed the data to kind of uh, bring people on the journey because sometimes we were challenged. Why do we need to set anything up? Won't it just look after itself? I'll just pass on and things will kind of fall to the next generation and they'll figure it out. And, you know, as we started probing a little bit to those kinds of questions, uh, as I just probably alluded to, uh, the focus around how will our story be told? And, you know, what narrative, say, a patriarch or matriarch might have in their own mind, while they think they've articulated that to that next generation, often it's not the case. And if you would go to that next generation or the rising generation, they would have their own interpretation on the theme. And so what surprised us was how little time families were spending uh, shaping that story, talking about purpose, attaching meaning to the wealth. You know, we work so hard. In our, in our working lives, uh, to what end, you know, to, for what purpose? So it was that time spent capturing, sharing, and continuing to tell those stories to the next generation. You know, I'm always amazed by, you know, the Indigenous people of Australia and how that storytelling is such a part of those communities and the way that they pass on, you know, what matters to them and, and their heritage and their connection and their values. And that is probably the piece that really stuck out to us. You would spend plenty of time at work and probably managing your financial affairs, but not as much time spending uh, and focusing on the family's purpose and what to do with all of that hard work and effort. Mm. Interesting stuff. So if you'd like to access more information about our discussion with Tiffany today, check out her paper at momentumag.com 
turn uncertainty into growth? Is wealth a barrier or an enabler to a meaningful, purposeful life? Yeah, it's a Great question, and, and it's one that we're often asked uh, and it's often written about. I guess, uh, to put it plainly, everyone has a different relationship with money, Janine. You know, we have uh, mental models, as it were, as to how we were raised and how our parents viewed wealth. And then we have even what's called money disorders. You know, do we tend to hoard it and hold on to it for fear of losing it? Uh, do anything to avoid the tax man? Uh, do we, you know, tend to feel guilt? around having too much and so give it all away and feel that we have to apologize for having it or even you know not talk about it at all because that's not appropriate which would probably be a little bit more my family's heritage you know let's just not talk about it that's not considered polite and respectful so i guess that relationship sort of dictates whether or not it can add or take away from your life i guess we like to think of it as as an energy source yeah, that it's something that can help you, uh, you know, fulfill your, your purpose and your dreams. Uh, and, you know, Malcolm Gladwell, who I love, he's one of my favorite writers. He's done a, a really interesting piece in one of his works uh, called David and Goliath, which is all about uh, the resiliency of the underdog. And in the second ch chapter, <clears throat> he speaks about this inverted U-curve about parenting and wealth and the challenge of trying to parent when you have no wealth or actually the challenge of parenting when you have too much wealth. And so the ability to go from saying we can't because we don't have the ability to do it to we won't because that's not within our family's values. And so I think that's where meaning and purpose attached to wealth are learned through one's life experiences. They're innate, uh, but they can also be shifted and you can start to have a different perspective and relationship with money uh, when you attach that purpose to it. Mm. And I think sometimes we're probably all guilty of this at some time. We send mixed messages because we're not very direct in our dialogue or in our language. The difference between won't and can't and don't <laughs> is quite different, isn't it? Um, and some people necessarily, you know, if they don't feel it's polite to say no culturally, then, you know, they'll find some other way to, to um, defer or, you know, divert, divert. So interesting. I must read that. So what does stewardship mean to you and how do you create it in families, Tiffany? Yeah, look, stewardship was uh, kind of, we wanted to pick uh, and use a, a word that resonated with families, with, with individuals, not just corporates. Corporates talk a lot about leadership and we found, you know, leadership could be a bit off-putting because people assume that meant succession or that I was going to be given the role of trying to step in and fill my father's shoes or my mother's shoes. And, and that could be quite overwhelming for people. The idea that we really were watching happen with successful families who were there for many generations on was this idea of caretaking something. Caretaking something uh, that may have been given to you and uh, passed on and therefore how would you look after it because it wasn't yours to own but contribute to it, grow it, um, you know, add your own personal kind of uh, identity to it, so make your mark, as it were, and then uh, continue to pass it on. Uh, and this idea of of looking multiple generations ahead and being mindful and and having this sense of gratitude that you had something in your care that you could uh, continue to develop and then hand on and have left in some way your small part of that story. So for us, stewardship, uh, and we've tried to break this down. It's you know in kind of some of our literature that you'll find on our website because we think it's important that people understand what it looks like. It tends to look at things like uh, attaching profit to purpose, 
right? So that there's more of a mindset of, of creating meaning. Um, attaching the human and intellectual capital to the financial capital. So you're looking more holistically at your resources as a family. We talk about self-governance. So not just leaving others to look after and tend to your affairs, but actually learning to do it yourself and, and being able to make well-informed decisions and manage your own affairs. Transparency of information, you know, collaboration, the way we make decisions, that lifelong education as we talked about so that you're never done right? And this idea of moving the timeline forward where, you know, you're putting those assets to use in your lifetime uh, so that you can enjoy and be part of that. And then know that as you move on in life, that you've done everything you can to help set that next generation up to succeed. So really, you're just breaking down this whole notion of, you know, the first generation work hard and earn it and build it and grow it and then the second generation get hold of it and somewhat destroy it but then the you know the third generation the trust fund baby just flip you know fritters it away because they're embarrassed about it or don't know how to manage it or don't have the capability and so you know it's really interesting to really delve into that and and just make you know what you've built endure I think is important when I think about it that's exactly right Janine is to sort of hopefully do away with that idea of shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations, mm-hmm. um, you know, and to make sure that we are creating a connection and a story and attaching that uh, purpose to the wealth of, for generations to come. And, and for us, it's that spirit of the gift, as it were, that really which Jay Hughes writes about, which is a really lovely quick read, is a fantastic piece to kind of get your head around how do we, uh, yeah, take that 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 classic adage and, and dissolve it mm. so have you discovered what really matters most is it personal growth yeah look uh, it changes uh for individuals and it changes for those individuals over time um you know it, the, the question along with values is trying to kind of find that common ground um you know by which families will come together and and have some kind of impact um, you know, what matters most is doing what's best by those individuals. So I think we often try to start with the individual in mind before we try to, you know, work on the family um, as a collective. Obviously, you've got to let people opt in or opt out. But families, particularly the patriarch and matriarch, what they tend to care about most is that family will still stay together and come together and where there's wealth that it won't divide them or there'll be fights over it or there'll become this sense of entitlement to it. Um, but it does come down to individual motivation, therefore. So you kind of got to go into that little bit of motivational theory. You know, what are the things that motivate each of us? Again, some of those things are just born within us. Others are learned. Um, so, you know, we think about it a little bit in the context of uh, a framework we created around this growth model, which is in that article that we wrote I referenced earlier. Um, putting values at the core, you know, that in essence helps to dictate the kinds of choices we make. And so what matters tends to what we find revolve around around three main areas. Those three areas we discussed of purpose, well-being, and connection. You know, purpose being very much clarity in, in oneself, your own identity, and you know, how you show up and use your talents and skills and life experience to do work, however that uh, defines you. And often at some point, one or if not both of those things are usually important. But in the world we are in right now, those have taken a little bit of a backseat. Um, you know, purpose uh, has 
probably resonated more so. But what we found is it's pushed us into looking, as we've talked about, at well-being and looking at, you know, how do we sustain ourselves and, and grow our minds and look after our, our bodies and, and our energy source, if you will. And financial wealth sits in there, the well-being. What are the three most common mistakes you see people make with their finances? Look, it's, it's a good question. Right now, in this moment, I'd say number one is people not knowing what is enough. You know, I mentioned this earlier in the conversation. Aruna Bay, uh, who's a, a lovely man who uh, runs his own financial firm, but he's written a book on this, you know, how much is enough. And I think for us, that really resonates because if we're just in this mindset of accumulation, then it's, it's very hard to know when you've reached that point of satisfaction, right? And, and that apex between having enough and being satisfied and being able to live a meaningful life and appreciate the value of money. And so I think where I observe that first mistake is just not knowing how much is enough. What do you need? And, and so in essence, what's that number? You know, since I went out on my own 10 years ago, as you know, it's quite risky starting your own practice. So I had uh, worked out for ourselves sort of what was that number that would allow us to live a full life, do the things that were important to us, uh, to raise a family, uh, and to feel like we were, you know, living a life fulfilled. And so I guess the second mistake, in essence, would be not knowing your numbers. Uh, so maybe going through the process of doing that budget, setting the plan. You saw this happen. I know, Janine, and we've talked about this, where families will embark on the journey. They'll learn the, the tools. They'll get educated on financial literacy. They'll put together a financial plan, and then they'll just put it on a shelf and stop monitoring it and stop keeping track and then start living essentially outside of their means. And so when you don't know your numbers, we tend to kind of inflate, don't we? So we ultimately start to get a mismatch between what we're spending and what we're ultimately earning and saving. And I think for me, that's where we do start to find things get a bit askew. And look, I guess the third thing, kind of in uh, theme with the earlier point about uh, good advice is, you know, overcomplicating things. I think particularly with wealth, it's kind of exciting as you start to get on the journey. You know, we're very interested in impact investing, for example, at the moment, you know, it'd be easy to dive in, you know, head first and let other people kind of bring us along the path and get a little bit unclear about what we're investing in or how it works or what the time horizons are or the risk tolerance or, you know, remembering that we're doing this with a very clear purpose and a theme attached to it. So how do we actually measure impact? So that complexity that can form and losing sight of uh, the information and starting to feel maybe overwhelmed. And so, you know, I think the other third most critical thing to, to avoid is not getting caught up working with people who overcomplicate things and, you know, potentially benefit or prosper from confusing people. So to really make sure that, you know, you don't lose sight of the details. Good points. So what's one thing our listeners can do right now to help them, themselves or their businesses you know, personally or financially in the long run? Look, I, I'd say uh, purpose obviously is a major theme for us and what we do. So really attaching some kind of a conscious intent or impact to what it is you're doing, you know, being willing to talk about the money because the greatest risk we see around wealth is uh, not knowing how to attach meaning to it, you know, so that cycle of the gift that I mentioned earlier is a wonderful read about essentially swapping it around. And instead of say the benefactor, the gift giver, 
uh, telling others what they want them to do with it and how they can you know, benefit in their life from it, turning the conversation around and asking uh, the recipient, the beneficiary, what it is they actually want to do with their life. If there is a, a, a gift there to be given or passed on, uh, to truly understand what the spirit of that gift could mean for the other person and doing it uh, with those intentions, those shared intentions in mind. Incredible idea. I really appreciate that. I think in my family, the gift has always been quite the secret. (laughs) And so, you know, my concern with that is that, you know, people may not be able to handle it in the end. Ultimately, you know, we spoke earlier about the different attributes of people. Of course, there's the spendthrift. But if people over time are educated and grow and their literacy, financial literacy improves and their, their ideas and notions around, you know, what is productive and good and the energy, you know, the well-being generally, then, you know, they're, they're more prepared. They, they have a greater preparedness in the end. Yeah. And that's, I would agree. I'd rather, there's a few kinds of gifts. There's those that surprise and delight us and those that surprise and frighten us. You know, we're probably trying to work with the former uh, so that people are prepared and ready to receive the gift in the right spirit. Absolutely. So thanks for joining us today, Tiffany. It's just been such a pleasure speaking with you and having you on as my guest. And you've been so generous with your time and shared so much insight with us. And thanks to our listeners. If you'd like to check out Tiffany's website at MomentumMAG, Dot com where you can find the article it's time to turn uncertainty into growth and further details about tiffany her team and how she works with families uh, so thank you thanks jenny if you'd like more information about finesse financial advisors please go to our website www.finesseadvisors.com and if you'd like an obligation free discovery session with me you can book that on our website um, we'll drop all the contact details in the show notes, links to the articles, etc. But feel free to email us at admin at finesse advisors if you'd like to leave us any feedback whatsoever. That brings us to a close. Until next time, bye for now. Hope you enjoyed the show today and have some action steps you can take right now to get control of your money. Join me, Janine Wilson, next time for Finesse Your Money. Meantime, head to my website, www.finesseadvisors.com or Email me at admin at finesseadvisors.com to claim a gift voucher for a discovery session with me valued at $150. Make sure you put gift voucher in the headline.